This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. Hi, I'm John McElroy, and thanks for joining us on AutoLine This Week. You know, this automotive industry, it just seems to be going from one disaster to another. Last year, it was the pandemic, which is still going on. And now the industry is facing a crippling shortage of computer chips. It's out of the frying pan and into the fire. We're going to get to the bottom of what this chip shortage is all about, because I got three people who are really keenly following what's going on. Julie Freem is the CEO of the Original Equipment Supplier Association. Joe McCabe is the president and CEO of Auto Forecast Solutions. And Scott Craig is the director of automotive strategy for On Semiconductor. I want to thank all three of you for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you, John. Thanks. Joe, let me start with you. You do all kinds of forecasting for sales and production and where this industry is going. How bad is this chip shortage? How much is it going to cripple production this year? Uh, yeah, th- these are numbers hot off the presses right now. We're doing a weekly review of the semiconductor impact. And what we do is we go down to the workday level at every plant, every vehicle that it hits. Uh, so these are numbers that aren't been published yet, but they're going to go out this afternoon. We're looking at a global impact of about 710 units based on announced shutdowns. Uh, that ramps up to about 1.4 of forecasted volumes if we take in consideration the vehicles being impacted. On a North American perspective, it's about 240,000 of that 700,000 on a global basis, but we can argue up to 400,000 units could be impacted in North America during 2021. Yeah, and Julie, I mean, you deal with suppliers. The whole supply chain's got to be impacted by this. What are your members telling you? Well, certainly everyone is impacted. Um, It is, you know, there's two different ways of being impacted, right? So, if you manufacture a product with a semiconductor, you are busy uh, allocate, getting allocations from the suppliers, working um, to allocate your product uh, to the OEMs if you're a tier one. So it's very hectic there. On the other side, if you're not using semiconductors in your products, you are um, sort of at the mercy of what's happening with these ins and outs for production, the shutdown for a week or a day or a shift, and then back up and running. So it's very challenging for the entire supply base. Scott, how did this auto industry get into this mess in the first place? I mean, the, the industry globally makes about 100 million vehicles a year. Every single one of those vehicles just about is chock full of computer chips. How did the industry get caught unawares of the shortage? I think, John, um, it was the manifestation of the perfect storm. So we have COVID that uh, that happened, and uh, in that in that the automotive industry effectively uh, turned the switch off. And when they did that, um, the unfortunate part within the semiconductor industry, um, if you pull back or turn off, uh, you lose your, your, your space in line. Um, and the commercial electronics industry saw this as an opportunity, people staying home and, um, and the need for work from home with computers, uh, monitors, 
headphones, et cetera. Um, and so they were very bullish and they placed their orders and took the spot that, uh, that many of the automotive companies had um, that were in line, their, their, their spot was taken by uh, the consumer industry. So, Scott, go into a bit more detail. That's very interesting. I mean, here's an auto industry buys, like I said, millions and millions of chips. So what you're saying is the way that the semiconductor industry works is that if you step out of line and give up your spot, you go to the back of the line. How come you can't just sort of slot back in again as a, as a you know, ongoing customer? It's a great question. Um, and much of it has to do with the, the technologies and what they're running in production. So um, the nodes, the technology nodes that are typically used in automotive um, are not the same nodes that are used in a lot of the, the gaming and uh, consumer electronics. And so once you make that switch um, to go back uh, is, is, is not as easy as turning on and off a light. Um, th that process is, uh, is, is very complex. And I mean, semiconductors, and I think one of the things that will come out of this is a, an appreciation and a recognition that many of these chips take 500 to 700 process steps to manufacture. And um, you know, you're looking at 26 week lead times to produce one chip, um, in some cases more. And, and so that complexity uh, adds to the frustration of a, an automotive company who says, yeah, why can't I get back in line? Um, and the unfortunate part is uh, the technology nodes that they're running um, not, don't necessarily allow them to, to switch back. Yeah, I, I want to get into some of that uh, uh, those processes more. But uh, Joe, let's come back to you. Uh, you. You have quite a wide range of how uh, this is going to impact production on a global basis. Are some parts of the world better off than other? Yeah. So the numbers. If you asked me this question last week, I would have said uh, Europe is way out in front in a bad side about its impact uh, in terms of lost volume. Uh, North America actually caught up in this last report. So they're about uh, fighting for equal space of uh, potential volume hit. Now, one caveat I take a look at is we're mid-February right now. We are projecting as of right now, all these volumes should be recoverable this year. If we were having this conversation in October, we'd have a different conversation. So the impact is there. We're looking at it. But uh, everyone is getting impacted. Uh, Middle East Africa wasn't on the list last week. Now it is. South America wasn't there. Now it is. But we are seeing some insulation. Manufacturers like Daimler and BMW in North America are actually saying they're not getting impacted. So certain manufacturers of maybe smaller volumes of key products, uh, we are seeing are dodging the bullet, so to speak, as of now. Will that happen tomorrow? Who knows? But we are seeing this as a global issue that's being uh, affected across the entire supply chain and the entire, the entire vehicle manufacturing industry. Joe, you're, you're right. Daimler or Mercedes-Benz in North America, BMW in North America, I mean, they, they have big operations, but they're small compared to the bigger ones mm -hmm. in the right. market. But Toyota, the biggest car company in the world, says it's being impacted, but not that much. How did Toyota figure this out? 
Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, you look at each manufacturer and decision-making process and you see where they fit in the supply chain. I mean, to look at the, you know, try to look into the future of where this industry should be. We are now being affected by, you know, a majority of uh, production coming out of Asia, specifically Taiwan. And when you're talking about a future in this industry, I see a day where GM and Ford and Stellantis and Toyota and Honda say, let's get together and let's build our own chip manufacturing. We don't want to be, as Scott said, second in line anymore. We want to be first in line. And if we're really going to push electric vehicles and autonomy and this innovation space, this chip count's not going to go down anytime soon. So we saw some manufacturers that sort of prepared themselves uh, and, and maybe they had more of a better crystal ball than others out there. I can't tell you that for for fact, but um, some are insulated than most, but across the board, very few are dodging this bullet. Julie, Joe's got an interesting idea. Automakers getting together to say, hey, let's take care of this ourselves. You represent just about every automotive supplier in North America. Are they talking along those lines or are there other ways that they can collaborate to get through this? Well, it's interesting because we've actually, in this case, been talking to a lot of the OEMs themselves, advocating on behalf of the suppliers. And the suppliers do need more visibility and more longer-term commitment to um, the semiconductor and thus the wafer and the entire process. And so without that, um, you're going to continue this sort of six-week, eight-week kind of number that just doesn't work. Um, for this particular supply chain. And so what I th you're starting to see is a recognition of the length of the supply chain by OEs, certainly by uh, the suppliers that use the semiconductors, and a recognition that we have to uh, commit to more volume, uh, a longer-term volume, not more volume, but a longer-term volume uh, to make sure that the automotive industry is protected in this case. One comment I'd like to make too, it's very important to realize that in the semiconductor world, the automotive uh, use of semiconductors is less than 10% of all semiconductors. And so we're talking about a very minor influence, if you will, on the marketplace very different than most uh, we're used to in the automotive space. This is this is not our, we're not the core customer. Um, the consumer electronics market is the core customer. And um, so we have to make sure that our needs are known throughout the supply chain. Yeah, great point there, Julie. You know, and, and for the auto industry, that's uh, kind of uh, disheartening to hear that we're just a little small part of what's going on there. Scott, let me come back to you. I was intrigued what you just said. 26-week lead time. You're, you're, you're saying that it takes six months to make a chip. How is that possible? I don't want you to run us through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of steps, but, you know, basically, why does it take so many? Uh, it's just the physics of, of producing uh, a semiconductor, and, uh, and that's, that's what it takes, um, it's hard to it's hard to argue the, the the physics or or sort of rush the process. I mean, you you really can't. I mean, there are things that we do within the industry to help provide, as as Julie was saying, lead times, and and maybe the semiconductor industry has been um, uh, thinking we're doing a good thing by providing lead times of eight weeks, ten, twelve. Uh, but those are sort of artificial lead times. Those aren't 
the the time it actually takes to produce the product. And when that happens, uh, people have a, a false sense of, well, I mean, it was just four weeks. How can it now be 44 weeks? Well, it, it really never changed. Um, the conditions changed, but the actual physical process never changed. So, Scott, what does the semiconductor uh, uh, industry need from the automotive industry in, in terms of trying to avoid something like this again in the future? No, I, I think that's a great question. And I think um, the fact that, uh, you know, semiconductors um, on every, you know, CNBC, Forbes, I mean, <clears throat> they're, they're making headlines. Uh, and that's good uh, because the automotive industry typically isn't used to, as, as you said, you know, being, you know, second fiddle. Um, I think one of the things that Toyota probably did um, that the other OEMs can do is the transparency, the visibility within their forecasting. And not that we would, as a semiconductor industry, build from an OEM's forecast, but having visibility into that um, helps drive the model that is used within the manufacturing process. I mean, one of the things that semiconductor companies typically say is backlog is king. And placing the orders, and that's, I think, part of this process is in education. So, I mean, through groups and organizations like OESA, you know, we have an opportunity to work with Julie and her team to help evangelize and, and, and educate um, because if you place an order, it's better to push your order out than to take it away. Because once you take it away, you, you do lose your place in line. And, and those that are more bullish, um, the consumer industry, and as Julie said, 48% of the semiconductors go to smartphones. 10 to 12% is automotive. So they have uh, a voice and a loud one. And, um, and so they were very bullish and they placed their orders. And, uh, and that's what a manufacturer, a semiconductor manufacturer is gonna run their business on are the orders that have been placed on them. Yeah, I had uh, read that uh, Toyota has a three-year production forecast that it provides to the, the semiconductor industry. Three years. Julie, I'm sure y your members are talking about that all the time, too, of uh, wanting to see or have more transparency as to what a car companies are actually going to build. Well, certainly, you know, a suppliers always want that. But in this case, the supply chain, because of the length of time it takes to produce this product, you ask, what does um, the industry need to do? Um, it's committing to the volumes um, and, in essence, guaranteeing that those chips will be used, um, that they commit to half a year out. Um, understanding that that's very different than how we traditionally run our supply chain uh, in terms of the automotive industry. But it's this is a different world, and um, we're going to have to to play in this world. And as semiconductors become more important and more used in this vehicle, in vehicles, it's critical that the industry, the semiconductor and the wafer industry, which is very important and we haven't talked about, 
uh, as the precursor to the semiconductor, that um, they understand what is committed to and they can um, be assured that those volumes are going to be good. Joe, you said something interesting. Maybe the car companies getting together and doing their own fab plant and the like. Do you think that's realistic? You know, basic economics tell you that if there's an opportunity to get in on a uh, ground floor of something, people are going to do it. And if this is the ground floor of a new semiconductor player, look, they didn't get, you know, they don't just sprout out of nowhere. They're very complex manufacturing operations. Uh, but I think it's going to be one of those things where we always look, look at history. We look at history of 2009 by 19. Who took advantage of that growth? The answer was China. If this is our new bottom with COVID, there's going to be something we're saying in 10 years. Who took advantage of this opportunity? Same old player is going to either say we need to excel and answer the call or we're going to be threatened by a new competitor. That's across the industry. We see that from internal combustion engines and new EV players. We're going to see that from semiconductors and new players hitting that market. That's just the, the nature of the beast of the industry we play in. And your point you made earlier, now we, we live in a reactive automotive space. Any, every supplier you know, sort of responds to a quote, but looking at the future being more proactive uh, where it needs to be. That's the shameless plug for AFS, of course. But, you know, what you want to say is that you want to see how are we going to plan three, five, seven years out now. Now we have another 120 players in EV space all fighting for chips. They may or may not get allocated. So how do we prepare for that inevitable future? And uh, this is a really telling sign we're going to see in the next 18, 24, 36 months who, who steps up to the call and, and excels out of it. Scott, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, is the semiconductor industry going to step up or are they just going to say, hey, don't pull out a line. Just give us your orders and, you know, come back in or do we need more fab plants? You definitely need capacity, especially as Joe was mentioning, as, as the, the new energy organizations come to play, come into play, um, there is not going to be less need for semiconductors in the future, it's it's going to only go up. So content-wise, complexity-wise, um, those things are going to happen. And it's not trivial to invest or create a fab. I mean, you're talking billions, multi-billions, $10 billion um, to, to from the ground up to produce a, 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 a wafer fab. So in semiconductors, there's a the front end, which is the, the wafer production, and the back end, um, which is what makes it look like what people see and recognize as a, as a, as a chip. Um, but that said, yes, we're investing. I mean, on the, the one nice thing about On Semiconductor is 90% of our automotive manufacturing is done in-house. And so we're fortunate to have that capability um, but as more and more technology is developed, the fabless model is there, and people like TSMC um, and contract manufacturers will be employed. And the nice thing is, I mean, they've been public in, in their announcement that they're going to invest, and the industry recognizes the, the need to invest. The interesting um, <clears throat> paradox or, or uh, irony is that the machines that you need to build the chips require the chips to build the machines. <laughs> so when there's a shortage and there's an allocation and you need more equipment to actually build the semiconductors, 
um, you're constrained, right? So that you've you've got that process just has to work its way out um, until the the demand stabilizes um, and and you know we're able to to allocate um, so that we can build the equipment to actually build more capacity. Julie, we've got a new administration in Washington, D.C. I've got to believe they're reaching out to you or you're reaching out to them. What, what can you tell us? What advice is uh, OESA giving the Biden administration or what advice would it like to give to it? No, we've definitely been uh, speaking with the administration as well as members of Congress on um, how we need to uh, ensure that, first of all, the U.S. in this case is recognized as one of the critical uh, users of these within the auto industry. So that's been uh, a voice that we've made sure uh, has been heard uh, loud and clear in Washington, D.C. already. Um, the next thing is, is what the Biden administration has already announced, um, which is doing a deep dive on the supply chain and better understanding where uh, investment might be uh, needed to ensure that the U.S. is competitive and um, strategically positioned uh, on a global basis. And so we've been advocating for that on behalf of the suppliers and, in fact, the entire industry. So, Joe, what it, what are the lessons learned for the auto industry coming out of this? It, something that, I mean, this is not exactly the first time. Remember a decade ago that earthquake and tsunami hit Japan. There was It, it caused a lot of disruption. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure there were adjustments made because of that. But what do you think the industry's got to do going forward with this chip shortage? Yeah, I mean, in, you know, simplest terms is not just primary, but needs secondary and tertiary supply chains. You know, as the ma manufacturers decided to make more cuts, they said we're going to build more vehicles on the same platform. And that's going to allow us to go to one or two suppliers, give them massive volumes. They win. We win on co cost cuts. Now, the flip side of that coin, those massive volumes go to one or two suppliers. That part of the supply chain falls apart and the chain breaks. You know, every time we run into this, we, we say, you know, it's something new. You know, we, we, we try to learn from those lessons. And sometimes we don't learn from those lessons. We don't change our methodology of that reactive to a proactive one. The biggest concern I see right now is that we have larger and larger stakeholder concentric circles, right? We're trying to hit this new bogey of electrification autonomy, but there's a pushback. There's infrastructure. There's hurdles. Now you say, well, we got another hurdle, right? The hurdle is we have no chips. I might, I might have a hard time influence that. So now I'm a government. I'm in mandating people to be in a greener space. I'm a GM. I'm a Ford. I'm mandating uh, different targets, aggressive targets to get to electrification. Yet I have an infrastructure issue. I have a road issue. I have a, you know, my LIDAR can't see it. I bounce it off the salt the right way. Now I have a semiconductor issue. And these constant uh, opposing forces really stall this this need for innovation so we're going to see out of the birth of this is saying instead of having one or two suppliers we might need four or five suppliers because we need those backup strategies uh you know i'm hoping we'll have this conversation two years and three years and five years now and say we learned uh sometimes we don't because we live in that uh an industry that is uh we're not making iphones we're making cars that they're designing today they're arguably built for three years from now and three years in today's automotive speak is a lot different than three years and ten years 10 years ago. So uh, that's going to be is really this change of thought 
and how to approach the market and allowing new stakeholders to come in and influence the decisions going forward. It's going to be a real disruptive market going forward, and we're always watching how it's going to shake out. Julie, and uh, the European Union is talking about putting uh, an investment fund together, 30 billion euros to build a fab plant in, in Europe. Uh, Scott mentioned uh, TSMC, the Taiwanese silicon manufacturing company, but that's in Taiwan. Who knows going forward what's going to happen between Taiwan and China? I got to believe this can be presented as a national security issue. That, and, and what I'm getting at, the U.S. has got to do something on its own. Well, the U.S. had allocated previously uh, monies uh, to start a small fab uh, facility. Um, so that has been done. Um, I think you'll see as uh, the administration and Congress takes a look at the supply chain and the infrastructure, because it's not just automotive. I mean, it's defense. It's all of the aspects of, of what we do in the U.S. and in North America, I would add. Um, we have to look at that with USMCA. We have to look across um, all three countries. Uh, but exploring that, we've got to um, be able to manage our key uh, aspects of, of both industry as well as defense uh, independently. Scott, we're down to the very end here, so I'll need a quick answer. But what kind of things would the semiconductor industry like to see from an administration? I think the the support that um, that Julie was talking about uh, is needed. They've enacted, I think, the uh, Ships for America Act 2021, um, sort of following through on that, uh, and looking to incentivize uh, American. Um, obviously, being a, a little biased, Ansama uh, is an American company, but uh, you know there is opportunities for the the right sort of manufacturing and whether that's the front end or the back end um i think both uh opportunities are are there and uh, i think the government just needs to recognize and provide the the incentives um that make it worthwhile for a semiconductor manufacturer to to invest their own money in in the process well it, it sounds like the good news is help is probably on the way we'll get it resolved I want to thank all three of you. Unfortunately, we've got to wrap this up, but thanks for the discussion. Thank thanks, you, John. John. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.